All right, are you guys ready? It's going to be great this morning. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a youth pastor. I have a lot of energy, but I will try to constrain this for this sermon. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and we'll get started. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I pray that we just have a deeper understanding of who you are, that we're able to grasp your love, and that we are able to love people the same way that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all right, confession time. Uh, I was not a pastor when I was a student. I know, shocker. Uh, I was a student when I was a student. And when I got into college, I wanted to do the one job that I was really excited for. Uh, this is one job that I actually went out, and it was the only job I sent an application in, and I was so pumped. That job is Oh, yeah. All the pizza delivery guys in the house say, what? No one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, though. We, we know it's a great profession. You get free food almost every single day, and it's incredible. Uh, you might gain about 20 pounds, but you know what? It's worth it for the Lord. Uh, but one of my favorite things is the pizza code. Does anyone know the pizza code? No? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you some deep secrets about pizza guys here. This is great. Uh, the pizza code is three things about pizza guys that you need to know. Number one, if there's a failed order and that person is not at the house, which actually happens a lot, that pizza is free for you and you can eat it. Because we can't, we can't do anything about it. It's now, it, we can't like repackage that for someone else. So free food for you. Number two, most importantly, if people at 12 o'clock at night order six pizzas, but there's only two people in the room, they're doing something. And you just kind of let them get the pizza and then don't smell how the room smells because you know there's something going on in that room. But number three, and most importantly, this is like the number one pizza code rule. Never, and I repeat, Never, ever, ever steal another guy's pizza route. Ever. What does that mean? Well, basically, let me explain it like this. You are basically, as a Papa John's employee, when I was, worked at Papa John's, I was allowed to take one pizza at a time. Maybe if we're really busy and we're really slammed, I can take two or three routes at the same time. But what you don't do is, in the list, if you're fourth in the list, you don't jump to first and then take another guy's route. Like, that's, no, that's not cool. No one likes that. No one really enjoys that. And if we find out you do that, we will shun you in the way that pizza guys shun you with disdain. So don't steal a guy's route because that's our money and we need it. And, you know, I liked being a pizza delivery guy. Um, when it was good, I made about $25 an hour. When it was bad, <laughs> I made five an hour. And it was one of my favorite jobs. But there was a guy at Papa John's when I worked there. His name was Franca. Everyone say Franca. He's, he was a fun guy. He was a 50-year-old Italian smoker. So he had a really deep voice, and it was like gravelly. It was honestly kind of cool to, to listen to him. But Franca broke rule number three. He was known for stealing routes. So what he would normally do is he would go over to the boss and he said, Hey, boss, I got to take these two routes here. He, you know, he's, a, he's an Italian smoker. Okay, come, come on. Laugh with me, guys. Laugh with me. But... He would go and take routes and go in front of other people. And usually my boss was slammed, so uh, she had a lot of orders coming in and she wasn't able to get them out as fast. So when this guy comes over, it's like on the list of priorities, it's kind of small to make sure that people are doing what they're doing with delivering their routes. So she would let it, let it go. But we as delivery drivers, we knew, we saw, we knew what Franca was doing. And I got a few funny things about Franca because he was known for taking routes when business was busy, but when it was really slow, he most definitely did not want to be there. And you could tell because he would try to do anything to get out of the job. For example, 
one week we found out that his car died and that the alternator was down, so he couldn't drive his car anymore. I was like, well, you can't deliver pizzas if you don't have a car, right? So uh, he got a ride home, and we found out the next day he drove himself home because his car wasn't dead. He just unplugged the battery so he didn't have to deliver pizzas anymore. Yep, he's that type of guy. But another thing that he also did is one time he decided that he really didn't want to deliver because it was a really slow night, so he deflated his tires so that he had a flat tire, but he didn't have a flat tire. He just drove to the next racetrack and filled them up again. Like, he would do anything to get out, out of work. But my favorite story about Franca, the one thing that I was there in person when he did, is we had a really slow night. We only had two deliveries in three hours, which is nothing. And he goes over to my boss, and I, I guess he doesn't understand what anatomy was, so he goes over and he's like, hey, boss, my kidney hurts right here, my kidney. And my boss, who's in school, is like, your kidney is back there. And I kid you not, this is what he did. He's like, oh, my kidney hurts. Oh, <laughs> and he just switched body parts. <laughs> he was a funny guy. He did a lot of things like that. And to be honest, working with him, <laughs> I didn't really like him a lot. You know, he's taking my money. He's not really being there when everyone else has to be. He's trying to get out of work. Not a really fun guy. And then as I got older, I, I thought about something. Why did I never invite him to church? Truly, like, I started asking myself that. And I could give the reason of, like, well, I was too busy, or I didn't have any time, or, you know, all, all that stuff. But truly, like, can I, can I have a confession here? I don't know if I wanted him at church. I mean, he's a thief. He lies about when he actually, you know, has a working car when he doesn't. Uh, he also is really abrasive. He would just yell at us for no reason. He wasn't a fun guy. No one really wanted to hang out with him. And at the time, I didn't want anyone like that at my church. And as I got older, I kind of realized, well, that's kind of selfish. <laughs> you don't want someone that kind of lies a little bit, steals a little bit. Well, didn't you ever lie at one point? And you don't want a liar at a church when you've also lied before. And I had to check my heart for a second and realize I'm unintentionally picking and choosing who gets to hear the gospel because I don't necessarily like the way they act. Like, can we talk about this in church? Is this a thing that only I struggle with or do you guys struggle with this as well? Like, have you noticed that sometimes church people can be the most picky? Can be the most abrasive sometimes? And I don't know if you've done it unintentionally. I've completely done it unintentionally where I will see a person and I will judge them based off of the way they look or the way they act and say, no, nah, they don't need to hear the gospel. <laughs> Would Jesus do that? No. So why would I? So today, we're, I'm going to take a little twist today. Uh, the sermon is called The Power of the Invite. And oftentimes you may have heard this one in and you've heard it in the sense of like, well, we got to invite people to church. And that's important, and we should. But I have one question. Why? Is that it? Is that all we're supposed to do as a Christian? Is your life being a successful Christian defined by you invited them to church? Some people think so. But I think there's more to this. And can you invite someone to church and still have a lot of things that you need to work through? I think so. yes. So I want to get to the real nitty-gritty here. I want to get in the weeds. 
and really deal with something. Why do we pick and choose who we invite to church? Is that right? And is there a better way to do this? And truthfully, let me just give you a a little heads up. We invite everyone to everything based off of what we do. The real question is, what does our witness say? So let me, let me bring it back. Okay. Uh, Jesus died on the cross. He rises again. He visits 500 people. And then the final words that he says is in Acts 1. And before he goes up to heaven, he has one command, Acts 1-8. You probably have heard this as the Great Commission if you've been in church before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How many of you have heard this verse before? For those of you that haven't, let me just break it down quickly. Jerusalem is the town that they're currently in. So for example, reach people in Cape Coral. We're currently in Cape Coral, reach people in your town. And then Judea and Samaria were the towns above and and below them, so north and south. So that'd be an example of, now you need to reach people in Tampa and Naples. And then after that, to the ends of the earth, a command to go to the, out, the entire earth, no matter how big it is, and reach people for the gospel. And we've often talked about this in church, but where I really want to focus on is the verse before you will be my witnesses in J- Jerusalem. It's that, that phrase at the very beginning of what I just said. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It doesn't say that you can choose to be your witness, uh, his witness on Thursday and Friday if you feel like it. It doesn't give you an option. It says, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witness. There is no decision in this. So let me just ask you very bluntly, what does your witness say? You do realize that to discredit a witness, you do one of two things in a court of law. You first show that their words now don't match the words that they said before, or you show that their words don't match their actions. In order to be an effective witness, it comes from what you say and how you act. So, in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, are you an effective witness to Jesus? This is hard today. Truly, if you invite people to church constantly, but you don't live that out, are you being an effective witness? If you live this out constantly, but you never say a thing about Jesus, are you living this out? An effective witness? Now, hear me. I'm not putting a quota on what you should and shouldn't do. But what I am saying is this. Oftentimes, we'll focus on one or the other, and we don't focus on both. Some of us that are more timid will be afraid to talk to someone about Jesus, but he's changed our life. He's the person that saved us from our sin. He's the thing that is the reason why I'm here right now. This is probably the reason why you're here right now. Why shouldn't we say something? He's the most important thing in our life. And some of you, like me, are really good at talking. Can you back it up? Because we all know someone that can talk constantly, but they can't actually back up their words. So are you effective witness? If someone did not know you and looked at your life right now, would they think that you're a Christian? Or would they think you're prideful? All self-absorbed about yourself. We're going in today. But truly, I'm I'm being blunt and honest because I think this is something that we needed to, to approach as a church family. 
So, let's go to Scripture and see what Scripture says about this. Luke 19. Jesus entered through Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was short, so he could not see over the crowd. little fun fact, uh, scholars believe that the average height around that time was 5'5". Five five. So if he's short and the average height is 5'5", five five, he's pretty short, guys. <laughs> like, he's really small. But what is a tax collector, and why was he wealthy? A tax collector at that time was given a quota to get a certain amount of taxes out of a region. No one else knew the quota but the tax collector, and anything else as profit he could pocket. So when you have a chief tax collector who's wealthy, he's getting that wealth by being dishonest about what the taxes are and taking it from other people. And we like to complain that, man, taxes are too high, and we don't like giving that. But like, imagine people lying about how much you have to give and constantly moving that. That would be terrible. So he made a profit out of cheating on the very same people that he grew up with. Terrible guy. He's short in stature and he's short in character. No one wants to be with him. In fact, if you can imagine, he's running through the crowd. Every single person knows who he is and what he does. They're probably not that happy that he's running through the crowd. It's like, oh, there's Zacchaeus. Maybe try to trip him while he's running. But why is this guy running? What does he do? So he ran over and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Mind you, Jesus did not invite him at this moment. He knew who Jesus was. He heard of his acts. And he was so desperate to see who he was that he would make himself undignified, pull up his robe, run through a crowd of people that probably hate him, and climb up a tree just to see a guy, not even to talk to him, just to see him, just to get a look. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now get this final part. This is great. All the people around them saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now this is actually kind of important because in Jewish law, that's not always what you had to do. If someone took a calf, like a, a horse or anything, and people found out that they did that, but the calf was still alive, you only had to pay back double. If the calf was dead and there was no way to repay it, that's when you had to pay back four times the amount. Now, there's no mention that that's what Zacchaeus did every single time. And also catch the point that there's no mention that Jesus commanded him to do this. But his encounter with Jesus was so radical, so life-changing, that without any compulsion, he goes and tries to repay the people that he cheated to the highest amount. And what does Jesus say? In verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because of this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why is this important? No one in that crowd other than Jesus thought that Zacchaeus could have been used for anything good. His entire life up to that point, 
He was a lying thief that willingly went behind the backs of the people that grew up with him just to make an extra profit. And if that happened in our culture, we would not be happy about that either. And yet, Jesus sees the guy and calls him Zacchaeus by his name, which ironically means pure one. Ironic because he was most definitely not pure. Maybe that was the first time Zacchaeus has heard his name said in a positive manner in years. And through all of that, the encounter with Jesus was so crazy, changed his life so much, that without hesitation, he gave up everything that he stole, gave it all away, gave it back to the people that he stole it from. So let me ask one question. If Jesus looked at Zacchaeus the way that I looked at Franca, would he have done the same? If he saw him as the lying thief that he is, and not what his name really means, pure one, would he have gone out of his way to be the guest of this bad man? This thief? And by the way, Jesus paid taxes, so he probably stole his own money. So I got to ask you this. If this is what Jesus does, that no matter what this guy has gone through, he just invites him closer to a relationship with him. We're not Jesus, but can we at least treat people the way that Jesus treats them? And, and look, I get it. Like confession time as a pastor, it's sometimes hard to talk to people. Like it's not always easy for me to do, it, especially when I've had a long day. But I got to remind myself, man, this could be a moment where someone's life has changed. My interaction with them, my conversation, inviting them deeper to a deeper knowledge of Jesus and who he is could literally change their life. So when I come in here on a Sunday, I want to approach every conversation with that vigor and that gusto because that conversation could bring someone closer. And if someone like Zacchaeus, a broken, hurt, cheating, lying, sinful man, can do something great on his own volition just with one encounter, what can the person that you don't like in your life do if they were encountered with Jesus? You see, oftentimes I think that we treat people like keys. So I have a lot of keys here. I, I do a lot of things. Uh, this is the church truck key. This is a really fun key because this is how we get all the stuff here for golf side. So if I don't have this, we have nothing here. Kind of important. This is my office key. This is my other office key. I have two office keys. Don't judge me. I need both. And this is my, I actually don't know what that key is. So we'll find that out later. Now imagine if one morning, I went over and I went to my boss, Paul, and I said, hey, man, I can't make it to work today. And he asked why. And I said, well, I lost my key to my car, so I can't drive there. I think all of us in that situation would be like, okay, I get that. That makes sense. Cool. You know, find your key. It's okay if you're a bit late. Now, what if I came to him and still said, hey, man, I can't make it to work today. He's like, all right, what for? And I said, well, I have the key in my hand. I just really don't want to use it today. I hope to God that Paul's like, no, use the key, get here, and get to work. <laughs> I have it right here. I'm fully capable of using this to open a door and turn on a car. But me choosing not to use it, that's not Paul's fault. That's my fault, right? I think oftentimes we've been given the keys 
to impact a, a person's life. It's in the way that you talk and the way that you act. And so often we will use one and not the other. It's very easy for me to talk about Jesus, but ooh, backing that up with the way that I live and not having to lie constantly, I don't know if I want to do that. You're given the tools to impact people for Jesus. Why not use them? And I don't think that one day when you die and go to heaven, God's going to be like, well, I know that you were a great servant, and I know that you had the ability to talk to people about Jesus, but I know that you didn't really want to, so that's okay. You know, free pass on me. You have the ability. So, like, let me be, let me be blunt. Why aren't you? What does your witness say? Who do you live for? Who do you belong to? God or yourself? I think too often we've been given the tools and we choose not to use them. You don't have to be in ministry to impact someone. You don't have to go on stage to impact someone. You don't have to be good-looking, eloquated, know the Bible really well. You can impact someone just by the way you do your business. So do you do that? Or maybe you have a key and you don't want to use it. You've been holding it back. This uh, verse from Matthew 5, 13 through 18, is, uh, 13, 13 through 16, just hits me right in the gut. This is Jesus talking. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see you do your good. If we are Christians, we're saved and redeemed. We have the best thing ever. We no longer have to be uh, under our, our punishment of sin. We no longer have to go and suffer death. We can suffer, we can live in eternal life. Shouldn't we tell someone about that? Shouldn't we act like that? Shouldn't we live that out? It's the most important thing. It can literally change someone's life. Shouldn't we live like that? And I'm sorry if I'm being harsh, but like this is one of my cries for my youth group. If you come to youth group and you say you love Jesus, but you don't live it out, you're wasting your time. This is bigger than just being at a social event for once a week. This is life and death. So let me be honest. Like, do people know that you're a Christian, if you are? Is the way that you conduct your business a reflection of Jesus? Is the way that you talk to your boss a reflection of Jesus? Teenagers, you're going to hate this. Is the way that you talk to your parents a reflection of Jesus? We're all in the same boat here. Can we just be more like Jesus? Can we just be a good witness? Imagine if Jesus treated us the way that I treat Franca. How many of us would actually be here? I'll tell you for a fact, I would not. But through his love and his grace, he has forgiven me of my sins, and he can forgive you of your sins too. So if he forgives us of our worst, who are we to withhold that for someone else? The two greatest commands in the Bible 
or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us have fulfilled the first one and not the second? So I come here today, and this is my only point. What is your witness? What does your life say? What do your actions say? What do your words say? Who do you serve? And truly, I think if we can just grab this for a second and realize that there's only so much time in the world, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed our next breath. Can we use these moments and make it impactful and realize that there's something greater here than just how much money we can make or how many friends we can have? There's something so much greater. Worship band, uh, you guys can come on up. My old pastor, uh, Pastor Betzer, uh, at First Assembly of God in Fort Myers, uh, he was 83 when he retired. And he actually knew the pastor of, a guy, uh, uh, of First Assembly of God in Ohio, the same church that Elvis Presley went to all these years ago when he was a young kid. He was a teenager at the time. He was coming up in music. And my pastor would tell the story of how this young, hip kid, good-looking, swooshback hair, came into his office one day and was super excited to try a new spin on, on some worship music and maybe put a little rock to it. And for some reason, this, as the guy retells the story, the lead pastor didn't like that. He was like, well, this is how we've always done it. I don't want you to mess up with our formula so you can go somewhere else and, and do that in the world. But you can't do that here. Now, I'm not going to say anything about that, that statement or that stance. What I am saying is this. That was Elvis Presley. Could you imagine if Elvis Presley made songs for God? Could you imagine the impact that he would have had? Could you imagine how many lives he would have changed? And I'm not saying that what that guy did is right or wrong, but man, if there is ever one interaction that could have affected like thousands to millions of people, that probably could have been one. You don't know who you interact with on a daily basis. Like adults, you don't realize like we got some incredible teens here and they have some talent and they're going places. And teens, you don't realize where the adults have been and who they've interacted with. As one community, can we grow in Jesus and live him out in everything we do and everything we say consistently? Can we walk the walk and talk the talk? Because truly, you don't know who you're talking to this week. And what if that one conversation you had, the way that you act in a business decision where you could be selfish and make more profit, but choose to live righteously with God, and make the right decision. That could have impact on thousands of lives. So truly, one, one question. What is your witness today? What does your life say about who you serve? Finally, I think oftentimes we'll, we'll become saved. We'll accept Jesus into our heart, and we'll try to live for him but we'll do it like 95% of the way. We'll give God every part of our working life and 
every part of our marriage, but when it comes to interacting with our kids, we won't do that. Or for students, we'll give God all the times that we interact with our parents, but when we gossip, man, we really like that and we hold on to it. And God didn't die on the cross for us to give 95% of our life. Like that's a shame. He died to give all, every single sense of us. Withholding back, why? You're missing out on one of the greatest gifts you can ever have. So I don't know who you are and I don't know what you've been through, but we're about to sing a song, everything and nothing less. I give you God. And maybe you've been walking through your Christian life and you haven't really officially done that. You've given God parts or, or sections or maybe a half, but you haven't given him everything. I just want to challenge you. This can be your moment. This can be the change that you need in your life. I believe that God can do anything. So no matter what you've been through, if you want to make a decision, if you want to make a moment to step forward, I think this is your moment. This is your time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I know in my own life, there's been so many times where I've picked and choose when I can be a Christian, when it's a full, all-in thing. It's the best decision I've ever made. But sometimes I don't act that way. So I pray if there's anyone else in here like me, and I pray that we just give up the pretense. We throw away the mask. Life is too short to live out a fake, meaningless existence. There's something so much greater, and it's to know you and to be known by you. I pray that we can just have a deeper understanding of that. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. But Lord, I praise you for what you're about to do. Amen.